Hey fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Welcome to the Tennis Nerd Podcast. This time I talked to Paul Skip, a legend stringer. He's strung at 18 Grand Slams. He just came back from Australia where he's strung around 500 rackets or so. And we talk about that, stringing for pro players, some stringing trends, a lot of interesting stuff in this podcast. He runs a tennis shop called Racket at the Avenue where he strings and he's a very knowledgeable guy about racket strings and so on. So it was very fun to talk to him for a second time. We talked over Zoom, so there's no great video here, but I hope you really like the content inside. Thanks for listening, and please follow Tennis Nerd on TennisNerd.net, our more YouTube channel, Tennis Nerd, Twitter, Instagram, and so on. Thanks a lot, have a nice day, and don't forget to play some tennis. We start the podcast with the question, how long did he spend in Australia? Uh, about five. Five weeks, wow. So I was over there for the the pre-tournament of the, whatever it was, 250, then the qualies, and then obviously uh, main draw as well. Wow, yeah, yeah. So you're tired fingers now. They, they weren't too bad, to be honest. I think the whole setup with the team and everything was, uh, it was good. Really enjoyed it. It was a good atmosphere. And it wasn't too stressful. I mean, obviously times there are, but generally it was pretty good it was pretty good so fingers weren't too bad i think i've probably um worn them out a bit more after i've got back rather than necessarily um being over there so much how many grand slams have you strung at quite a few right yeah i'm up to i think it's something like 27 now oh wow so um majority of wimbledon's about 17 18 of those nine french and then obviously one aussie at the moment oh so this was the first yeah, yeah, it's oh. first time in our first time with them. So cool. So so what was different from this one from the other slams you string at? Generally, I mean, if you take Wimbledon, it's just there's more stringers here. I mean, the racket numbers are higher than Wimbledon as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tend to work our strings at Wimbledon a little bit more. So uh, but that's one of the big things. The organization was fairly decent. Um, everything seemed to get through pretty much okay without any incident most of the tournaments are i mean generally it's the same i mean obviously one big thing with wimbledon is what we're doing is is that we have a bit of a window early in the morning because there's no early morning practice early practice starts at 9 30 or 10 whereas french and the australian it's eight o'clock so you know you've got to be there early you've got to be working early and players are turning up earlier for Mm -hmm. the practice whereas at wimbledon we do have this little bit of a of a window where we can, I say relax, but we can take things a little bit easier. We can concentrate on the work and get the work done before the players come in. And then obviously, particularly with the Australian, obviously we have late nights, night matches, night sessions. You don't have that at Wimbledon. Sure, we have the cover courts, centre and number one, but there's no defined night matches. They're just afternoon matches and they go into the evening. So, you know, there's that. Um I've not done the French since they've moved to Wilson, but obviously I'm aware since the pandemic, they had obviously installed uh, lighting. Um, so I think the idea is they have a little bit more later matches now as well. Um, so, yeah, there is that. I mean, for the Australian, I think the latest I stayed there other than the final was probably about midnight. Um, I know there was certainly one, if not two matches, uh, Teams which stayed there till about two o'clock in the morning, something like two, two thirty. Um, because we don't all stay, it's all done basically if your player is there or you've 
had a late night the night before you know we share that around and mm-hmm. it's just luck of the draw whether it's going to be a late a late match or not uh they're probably the main differences is those timings and yeah the, i mean it, so how long is a day for you for example like you're starting pretty early uh, and then you you stay around so it's like a full day thing you don't have any much yeah i mean the earliest the earliest i was in it, the australian was seven um the latest to stay like i said under before the before the final was was midnight but you're probably looking at seven till you know half past nine ten maybe ten thirty something mm-hmm. like that so you're looking at a good you know 14 hours or so for wow. that um we were in a little bit later on the finals day because there was only two matches and obviously the women's doubles didn't start till three so that's that's not a problem um but we were there till i think we left at half past one in the morning i mean i think the match finished about half past 12 so but we stayed around and obviously watched presentation and and the such like did a bit of clearing up as well so yeah oh wow so five weeks and i mean how many rackets did you string you think if you have a ballpark uh it's around about 500 oh, over wow, those yeah. five weeks so not probably not the highest but you know it's a good it's a good stint yeah, and so and use average around 15-20 minutes a racket, I guess, or something like that. Yeah, some something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, depending on the work schedule, depending on how much work we've got. Uh I'm also in a, a mindset of I like to prepare the rackets, the strings for the night before. So it means I can just come in and get in the morning and just start the strings. Strings are already cut, strings are already ready to go. And that just obviously saves a little bit of time in the morning. But yeah, 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, definitely. Mm. And, and how big is your team, like the stringing team? Is it quite big at this event? or? So uh, the Australian Open is about 20 stringers. And then we had rolling staff of the front desk. I think there was probably something like six, six to eight people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of the stringers are going to be there for most of the time, most of the day. Um, but the, the desk staff, they do will work on a rotor basis um, just to obviously make it a little bit easier for them. Um, so you're looking, you know, best part of 30, you've got uh, this event because it's run by Yonex, then they have the Yonex support staff. So the managers for the sponsors, for the players, etc., and string distribution, things like that, they're going to be there as well. And there's probably about another four or five of those guys there as well through the tournament. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, so any highlights from, from this event for you, any special moments that stood out? Um, I think the, the, the biggest one has got to be having to strong for both women's finalists. I think that's probably going to be the biggest, um, obviously tag on the bit about Ash Barty first Australian since 1970, whatever yeah, to yeah. win the title on home and, and just been a little bit a part of that sort of, I think that's probably going to be the highlight. Um, I did have three out of the four women's semifinalists as well. So I was doing quite well out of that one. Um, not so not so lucky on the on the men's side, but you know swings and roundabouts. But they're probably the the biggest moments. Um, I was also doing quite a bit of work with Andy Murray as well, either, either leading up to the, the the Open and even through the Open a little bit as well. Um, so I always like doing stringing for Andy. It's always good, and I strung for quite a few of the other Brits as well. So. Um, yeah, they're, they're probably my highlights, but obviously being part of the team is just, just it's, it was just a good atmosphere. I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, it seems like that. So, I mean, did the COVID change anything in terms of how, you know, a Grand Slam is run with the string team and so on? Yes, it did. Um, so, I mean, just to go back to Wimbledon last year, just to show as a, as a comparison. So at Wimbledon last year, um, we were basically enforced to work in small little cubicles. I don't know if you've seen any pictures. If not, I'll no, I haven't send, actually. Yeah. I'll, I'll send one or two of my pictures across to you so you can see. So we cool. had our own little cubicles. Within that, we didn't have to wear masks. But outside of that, we had to wear masks pretty much everywhere. Um, so that was quite tough. We were cleaning, disinfecting the rackets, covering handles, things like that from that perspective. Um, whereas at the Australian Open, there were other things in place. Uh, we had to wear masks during the during the event um, in the stringing room, so we had like proper N95 masks. Oh, okay. Um, we were testing every day. We were, you know, we, we initially started sharing rooms, but we had to move to individual rooms just to reduce that risk down as well. Um, but some of that was all mandated by Tennis Australia, and obviously they're the ones guiding it. You know, considering mm -hmm. the the conditions which were going on in Australia, um, you can fully understand what was going on. Uh, but other than that, you know, we worked, we worked normally, we were still in a large open space, still, you know, fairly close together, but, you know, not massively close. How do you get assigned the players? That's the one thing I wonder, like, how, how do you, do the players choose you or, do you know, how does that work? <laughs> it depends on the players. So initially what was happening is, as I would do at Wimbledon, we're given players by the, the person in charge. So depending upon how long you're staying, um, you might be getting players along that sort of line or if players with specific requirements that play, uh, strings have dealt with in the past, then you know it's better to stick with that because they know what, what the issue is. Um, other than that, then I think generally I'll just put down, say, yeah, I want my string for these guys. Um, and most of the time that was happened. To be honest, my um, my sort of view or, or the guy who was, who was uh, sort of allocating out was basically, yeah, I just string for the Brits and a few others. So I strung for Daniel Collins from the beginning as well. Um, also strung for uh, Bottich van der Zanschlup. Well pronounced. Um, <laughs> thank you. I, I've strung a few bits for him in, in, in the past and he's quite a heavy stringer as well. So I was I was to him. But, you know, we can make suggestions if we do to string for certain players, but others are obviously allocated out uh, according to who's going to be around for for that length of time. There's no point giving the, pers the first person out um, the number one or the number two seed. Does it vary how much how, in how many rackets they have per player? Like the, the amount of rackets you have to string for one player? Yeah, no, definitely. So if you take uh, Botic, he was stringing about five or six to start with for the singles match and usually sending one or two off. So you could be looking at eight or so rackets. Uh, Ash had six for her final, but was varying between four and six. Um, Daniel Collins was normally three to start with, then another two after practice, and then maybe one during the match. Um, but if you take someone like, so uh, Danny Medvedev, if I can say, he doesn't have that many strung at all. He'll have like three, maybe four mm -hmm. a match. Okay. So, which is a little bit surprising on his um, his approach. But, you know, some players 
some players are like that. Yeah, I mean, he hits the ball quite flat for that player and with a small head size. So maybe he doesn't put so much pressure on the strings. I guess Botic uses uh, like a pure arrow, 16-19 pattern, big swings. Maybe yeah. going to tear up strings quicker. Yeah, no, exactly. I totally agree with you on that. Um, but it's just interesting that you think that, you know, maybe he'd go more or maybe, let's say, I think in uh, the match against who we went five sets with, and I don't mean Rafa, was it Kyrgios? I think, um, no, that was four sets. Uh, Shapovalov, maybe? No, no that was Rafa. Remember, that was Rafa. I can't remember which match it was. No, it was uh, Ajara Yassim. It was five sets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he sent one off during the match for that. I and mean, I sort of expected one to come off for for the final, but that didn't happen. So, you know, it's quite interesting to see how people's different approaches are. Yeah. And, and do they, like, how much was the variance intention? Did people have big variances or is it like one, two... Uh, pounds three pounds were different rackets yeah and most players string the same tension to mm -hmm. be honest i i'd have to say um off the top of my head there's probably very few would change tension um some may have one done at one tension and another done at a different tension but you know i, I think to be honest most of the players, once they've got attention, they they stuck with it, mm -hmm. no matter when they were playing. So, you know, that, that's what they that's what they feel. There, I can't recall any player really shifting tensions, you know, massively. Um, a good friend, uh, you've done the video on uh, Adrian Manorino. I mean, he he did change by small increments, and I obviously mean small increments, you know, tenths of kilos. Um, but even then, generally, he was sticking at roughly the same tension. Yeah, what, what was the tension, if I may ask? Or can you not share maybe the tensions? Uh, I, I, to be honest, I'm happy to share because I think it's something which is pretty much already out there anyway. Yeah, so exactly, it's not yeah. something which is, which is uh, top secret. And it was about 11 and a half kilos. He's talking about, or we've seen it plenty of places. So, yeah. and you know, he might have gone down to, I think, Maybe eleven point two, something like that. So, you know. but it's on the increment, really, like eleven points. He doesn't. just not like ah, here's twelve kilos. Go for it. You know, he, he goes really in depth with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. Um, part of my view is, is I think it's a little bit psychological. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah. Without actually looking at absolute raw data, I I find it difficult to see exactly how much difference. A point two of a kilo difference how much depth you're going to get how much difference you're going to get but then they're professional tennis players and i'm not no no i know but I, I think it's a mental thing many many times and i know he's in his case he's very specific with his rackets i mean that's i've heard from many sources that he's he needs his rackets to be super exact so maybe that also obviously goes into the tension and and if you're playing with that small or, or very low tension you probably want to be like ah, i need 11.7 or yeah you know, no, you, you, I, I totally agree with you i totally agree down to a science kind of thing yeah it's pretty pretty interesting these guys did you see any other kind of shocking tensions or like super high or or lower or what was the i mean to be honest again he was the lowest yeah um i think he's got pretty much that record for the longest being the lowest now highest again it's one of those which has been out there for a while we were up at basically 40 kilos 88 pounds oh uh, um there's a a female doubles player i mean that's 
again, no disrespect to women, but a female doubles player stringing up that tight is just unbelievable uh, with uh, 4G. So 4G? Super oh, yeah. Wow. Super tough, super tight. And I've seen her, you know, hit the ball and she doesn't do a lot with the serve, but she swings quite through with the forehand quite well. So, but, you know, most of them, you're probably you're probably looking around about, so let's say 11 kilos for Manorino, 40 for her, so that's 29, 14. So you're looking, most of them are going to be sitting around about the 23 to 26 kilo mark, mm. I would think, for most players. Yeah, that seems to be the standard uh, thing yeah. with, with most players. And and they once they find a t- tension that, that works, they don't experiment so much. And uh, I, oh, I guess, no, yeah. Exactly. And I you usually so, have like, like the same string for everyone. Nobody's experimenting with strings during a Grand Slam, I, I would not expect. Um, no one was doing it during the Grand Slam, I'll give you that. But but before so, they were trying? No, someone was trying after they were out. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. So they, they were trying um, different mixes of their usual combination and other polyester strings and, and what have you after mm. they'd already lost, they were hanging around and and hitting a lot of balls with with it so um yeah yeah i sounds sounds like andy murray but i, I will oh <laughs> uh, well as you said the name then i'm not gonna i'm gonna agree with you because you said the name yeah exactly. I'm not gonna tell you that, but if, you, if you say something i'll agree i'll agree or d- disagree with you yeah yeah, no, you no, said, I, yeah I i think i think it's pretty logical because i think if you're switching uh and he's been pretty open with his constant changes and asked questions about it as well and if you're ch- switching to a to a new racket with a bigger head size and everything. It's a big drastic change from what he played for like 15, 20 years. Um, and then obviously it's going to take a while before you dial in what that feels like. And then you want to try it strings as well. So you want to see like, what happens if I put you know, a different combo or maybe put you know this in the mains instead of the crosses. And I probably, I could see that being a long period of just testing and finding out where you are. with, the, with Yeah, the I, I totally agree. I mean, and having strung up those rackets, um, and I think someone's mentioned on one of the forums that it's basically his his old frame just in a larger head or slightly yeah. different mold. Yeah. Um, it strings up the same way. And the way the racket sort of I wouldn't say deforms, but as it because of the the stiffness or the softness of it, it, mm-hmm. it you can see how it moves compared to other frames. It, it reacts exactly the same. So I would have no difference in saying that it is effectively just like a larger headed version of what he's used in the past yeah um so yeah he's obviously on that route trying to to narrow down everything yeah. into uh somewhere where he's a lot happier yeah no it's an interesting thing and i always find that fascinating like what i mean obviously they they are looking for more and more from their equipment because the margins of playing tennis seems to be getting narrower you know i mean it's really tough to be a top player today uh you need their whole teams and everything it's uh, such a big organization behind one pro player and they're looking for what i can see as a trend is that they're looking for everything they can get out of the equipment whether that's tension string racket so there's there's more experimentation now from what i can see than it's been in a while right that's that's the, the sensation uh, I, I, yeah i agree it's over the years it has definitely changed this is obviously why one of the reasons we have such an increase in um racket numbers at grand slams yeah you know again these are figures you know going back to to wimbledon when the current company took over in 2009 to where we are now the number of rackets has gone up 100 percent 
you know, it started wow. at two and a half thousand and we're up near a five thousand. So you can see how much emphasis people are putting on on the stringing side of things now. Um, I think obviously there is part influence from people like uh, Roger changing, you know, changing every uh, ball change, things like that. Um, I think that has been part of an influence because people have tried that and, and want to see how it's like and see how it works for them. Um, but then I'm fully aware that even back in the day when Lendl was playing, he was changing rackets quite a bit during matches as well. So, um, yeah, I, I would agree. Players are trying and experimenting more, you know, even trying strings from different brands than, they, than their racket. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing what's out there, seeing if there's anything different. You know, we will see, you know, quite a few uh, players using their non-racket brands. And I'm not just talking about the obvious of using particularly Luxalon. Um, players obviously clearly try that, whether they're using Babalat, Head, Yonex, Technofiber, mm -hmm. whatever else. But there is also looking at other brands' strings and seeing what they like. And then there are players who are changing brand, racket brands, but still sticking to their old, their old string. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that seems to be the case because they want to. It's always tricky because they're under contract, so they have to be a bit, you know. <laughs> I guess it's a sensitive oh, yeah. question, yeah. But but obviously yeah, they want to see if there's anything more interesting out there, and you know, even if the the string differences are generally quite small, you you might get a bit something more, you know, a bit more grip on the ball or a little bit different feeling on on something. So they, for them, it's it's even worth hurting a contract, I think, in terms of just finding what works better for them, you know, or even if it's a mental thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, so uh, interesting. So any, uh, where, are there like more large head sizes today, do you think, than you over your stringing career? Like you're seeing then that people are going for bigger head sizes overall? I think just naturally that's, that's evolved. Yeah. You know, when you take something like, just for instance, the head prestige mid, is basically dead now that yeah. head size is gone you know anything around about 90 is is gone the smallest you may be getting now is 95 but you know they're like the old wilson pro staff classic type frame six one type frames mm -hmm. there's still a few of those flying around now i think the move is more towards 97 and 98 as the lowest size now You've got to be, you're going to have to be exceptional to use something smaller. I mean, even when you take something like uh, Denis Shapovalov moving from a currently moving from a 95 to a 98, you know, there is that move towards that. It does give you a little bit margin error. It does give you a little bit more free power relative to the to the smaller head size. Um, you know, what we're not seeing is basically anything above 100s. So, you know, all those years ago when we had like Agassi and Chang and they're using 110s, things like that. No, the, the biggest you're really seeing now are maybe 101s or obviously Serena and um, has used a 104. Mm -hmm. But that's the exception, to be honest. Everyone's basically between a 97 and 100. Yeah, that's interesting. It's something I noticed as well, because I think there was a... Uh, you know, uh, discussions about like, okay, this will just keep increasing, but there is some kind of point where you lose a bit too much control or maneuverability when the racket size goes up. I mean, we'll see if maybe it changes in, in five, 10 years, but 
for now, that's also kind of the thing. Like you're not seeing these oversized rackets. They're they're almost extinct on the pro tour, pretty much. You know, I mean, obviously for veterans and everyone, they're they're a lot of 102s, 104s, 107 and upwards. But but for the pros, I I, I rarely see anything like that. No, I think you're right on that. I think it's just it becomes too much for them. They they don't need that. Um, you know, they're skilled enough as it is. And they're only going to get stronger. I mean, the years ago when it was Wimbledon, it was a slugfest with the with the serves and everyone saying it's got to slow down. And they were using 90 square inch heads or below and natural gut. And now they're using obviously uh, larger heads, but the, the players have got stronger. So, uh, yeah, there may be that just that boundary just beyond the 100, which they do start lose control too much and they don't want to start stringing too tight now yeah did you string any blacked out frames over there there were a few in the Aussie season uh yeah I mean so I strung I strung Andes yes of course yeah um I did uh Anisimovas as well um I think they were probably the only two I did I yeah. would say yeah well I think those the ones I saw were those I think Ymer and then um Kokinakis, I think, was the one. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I mean, to be honest, with Kokinakis, it's quite obvious what he's got, and he's obviously signed with the Yonex co- contract yeah, now, yeah. anyone. So that's quite clear. Whether the um the, the Emers, I think, you know, they seem to be moving around all over the place with what they're going to be doing. So, um, who knows with them what they're going to choose? Bit of the irony, I think you've put possibly put on the video. The irony between one one using the other brother's racket and vice versa and things like that is yeah. a bit is a bit interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they. I mean, some it's an experimentation phase, but maybe they find home at this point. I mean, it's obviously not in the sponsorship camp, so they when they probably are happy, they need to then start negotiating or or doing something with contracts. And it's it's tougher when you're ranked hundred or you know above hundred. It's much tougher than if you're top twenty to to get a good contract with the play with the yeah. racket manufacturer. Anisimova's racket, did, did you have any feeling for what that is? Or, uh, I mean, obviously... Uh, I think it, it is what everyone else says it is. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's... what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, it's quite clearly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the feeling. I mean, you can see stuff from afar, but it's, it's speculation until you actually can verify whatever layups yeah. and stuff there are, you know. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the thing is that I would assume that that frame, along with other people who use that frame... Layups, no idea on that. I think that's one of the the, the hardest things to know uh, with Wilsons, with Pro Stock Wilsons, is um, what they are, yeah. what's under the paint, what how how soft all that is. Whereas, you know, head seems to be a little bit more uh, information seems to be a little bit more available. Um, and again, I think if you take things like a Babalats or or Yonix's um, for what little bit of pro stock there is out of those you don't really know what's under the what the layup exactly is on it no um, because there isn't that information out there no 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 it's it's true it's like head it seems people are more into head pro stock lingo and the codes and everything and, and that's pretty widely yeah. known but for the other rackets it can be a little bit more of a mystery because there's some model like maybe there's only two pros use it you know on tour and you don't know what is a p25 what is it uh, yeah, something like yeah. So there, there are a few of those rare ones. 
are you seeing any kind of trends in terms of like more hybrid setups, whether it's polyester and polyester or polygot, or um, is that becoming more common or about the same? I would say that hybrids of two polyesters is, seems to be coming a little bit more common now. Um, obviously, we had the period where it was just full polys and then we had move with hybrids with gut. But there seems to be more of a move towards hybrids with, with different polys. And that is just as much as being two different polys or even just polys with, with a different gauge mains and crosses um but there, there definitely seems to be a move towards that now yeah yeah i'm used i'm seeing more and more players generally testing and and being quite quick to test something else i mean it's like you're definitely seeing that there okay this week i try this and then next week i try this i mean we had sitsipas he he tried you know had got tennis elbow from 4g uh not sure that's the string it's a stiff string but probably something else you're hitting one million balls a year so you probably get tennis elbow from that stuff but he had played 4G, then went all the power or got, and then then he went 4G and got, and now he's back to full 4G again in like a period yeah. of a month, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. I think with that, I, I don't know about yourself, James, but I think I find that, you know, you end up tending to gravitate back to, to what works for you. So yeah. I, I do find it quite, I know you do a lot of testing on rackets and strings, etc. I do try as much as the strings and the and the rackets I stock but I can very quickly go yeah do you know what I just don't like this string or mm. you know I have to go back to what I like um it's that sort of thing so I can understand why you know maybe someone like Sissipas has gone back to it because he knows what works for him and he it may be a case of he has to work through a bit of pain to deal with that for the time being because he's not quite giving him exactly what he's used to or what he wants so and it's very, you know, it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, players, you know, we're tending to see sort of mixtures of, uh, I'll say, not necessarily a tougher polyester, but introducing more softer polyesters into their hybrids um, or using thinner gauges to get that little bit of softness in it. So elements becoming quite popular as a, as a, as a mixed string now, mm -hmm. particularly okay. on the process. Um, obviously, Emma Raducanu has been using that for a while, obviously successful with that. But there are a few other players who've done have used element on their on their crosses with with other polyesters. Um, there always used to be a, a good uh, mixture. I think Quavis used to use like uh, original and Ali Power at times, mixing that up. Um, but that I would say is probably the the current trend: polyesters yep. hybrids. Yeah, I've, I've seen and used myself like all the power mains and element crosses, some combo that seems to work pretty well in certain rackets that it's like yeah. a bit softer than all the power, but you still, you're not going like a gut or a multi-filament where it gets quite no. soft, you know, so you, you're keeping that polyester feel, but a little bit less uh, stiffness from the string bed. True. True. Do you manage to play any tennis yourself in the weeks? Uh, yeah, in fact, um, I'll be finishing. I'm going to be playing in about an hour. So, um, oh, good. As I've, managed, as I've managed to get back, I've been playing three, four times since I've been back. So that's good. Um, having spent like six away, six, uh, six weeks away from the court. Uh, so it's nice to get back out next to about have a hit. And I've got a club match tomorrow morning as well. So that's that's all good. Um, I'm currently using uh, head prestige uh mid plus the 360 plus so the red version yeah um <laughs> head links tour 
Um, I've got the Ozetic as well, uh, Prestige. It's good, but it's not quite me. It just feels a little bit too firm for me. I think it's good to open up for the spin potential, maybe a little bit raw power. I prefer the Prestige. I think it's a better racket, in my opinion. Yeah, I think we agree there because I, I also felt that, I mean, most of the other tennis guys I practice with, they, they try both and they're like, oh, I like this black one. It's a bit, you know, easier, power, firmer. I just couldn't really get prefer the response, you know, for, of that one because I, I just feel like it's a lot, a little bit more old school plushness, nicer feel from the red one and and I, I just couldn't really gel with the other one doesn't matter what I heard like five people like it's, it's better, better the black one I'm like I for me I can't you know really see it that way you know so it's like I think that's the thing it's a personal thing yeah, yeah exactly I think it's possibly a, a modern interpretation of the prestige a more modern interpretation of the prestige than um than the red one so that may suit some players better than others I think like I said I prefer the red one. I'm going to try and stick with the red one as long as I can. What uh, what tension do you use for the Lynx Tour? Uh, 44 pounds. That's good. That's a nice soft, because that string is pretty stiff, but uh, in a softer or lower tension, it, it works pretty well, I think. Yeah, I, I started going down a bit, I think, when I went on to the Prestige. Um, I was using the original Strike with a gut polyhybrid. Um, a little bit tighter than that, but once I moved to Prestige, then um, I found going the lower tension with that string worked really well. I mean, I've tried it with the orange Lynx Tour, and I just find there's a difference, and I don't like the the orange one in, in that racket. I prefer the beige. I think it's better. Yeah, again, also looks better. Yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point. Well, maybe um, in the, the red one it could be because it has orange on the side, the text. So I think maybe it could work with orange there. But I, I sometimes... When you have such a strong color, it might work on a black racket, but on some rackets, it would just be difficult to see. I don't care so much, but I know a lot of players care about the, the appearance of the racket and the string together. Kind of. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm aware of that. So you think that like you're, um, that you're actually playing and, and keeping up to date with everything also helps your interest around the stringing? I think is that your, your feeling that your, like, your general tennis passion also helps your work as a stringer? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's something that uh, I'll always say for, for stringing is that you need to keep uh, abreast of everything which is going on. You need to know what the new trends are, what the new strings are, things on like you, you need that information because we need to relay that to customers. So even if it is a trend, like we just said, with the, the polyester hybrids, that's something that you may, you know, I'm not saying I will, but it could possibly start offering to players, club players, high level players giving them something a little bit more uh, insight into things, but it helps. And obviously being able to try different strings, things like that, it, it does give a personal uh, insight into it, which I think that's the thing. Every, every stringer has to continue learning. You can't stand still. Um, if you do stand still, then you're going to be left behind. You know, techniques relatively stay the same. Um you know, new th ways of doing things can come out, new ideas, new, uh, maybe better techniques come come along. That's important, but just as important is the the actual string and the technology and the way that, you know, everything's moving. If you just ignore that and just accept you can string a racket, you're going to be left behind. And that's, that's the thing, you know, with the, 
you know, to wait and see how polyester strings have evolved. And obviously I'm talking polyester because that's probably been the biggest string change in, in many, many years, you know, where we were many years ago with the first generations of really hard polyesters moving into making that a lot more popular and then taking it onto the point of, well, okay, they are harsh. So we need to start softening them up and changing that part of the polyesters and how they react to things like that. Then that can only be a, a good thing, but you stringers must be on top of that. They must be aware of those changes. They can't just stick with the, uh, with the old school polys anymore. No, I think that's, that's, I mean, it also makes it more fun, right? So I think that's a good point. Um, do you ever discuss stringing techniques or like upgrading techniques or new tips and tricks in the stringing room? Do you ever have time to do that? Or everybody's just so chock-a-block busy with the rackets that it's not a lot of... Um, no, things like that do get discussed or, you know, we look at that. I mean, there was a, a racket that someone was, was, was stringing. So we were there, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? What's the best way of doing this? Um, and, you know, we had discussions about it and we come up with different solutions to, to, to do it. You know, there was several of us. So one would say one thing, one would say another thing. We'd all end up at the same position, but it was doing it slightly differently. So there are those sort of things that will be discussed, you know, over time while we're there. I mean, it's not like we're going around, I mean, but it is one thing where, you know, you may go and see, see how someone's doing something if they've got a different idea, different approach on things. But, you know, for 95% of the time, we're all doing exactly the same things. And there's, you always get every so often a period of where there are rackets where something changes slightly you want to look at how how best way to do it rather than you know a more traditional sort of way of doing it so the you know these things do happen when different rackets come out yeah no and i think it's i mean it's always interesting to to have discussions with like-minded but there's also maybe a fatigue that sets in when you're partly spending a lot of time together, I guess, and also uh, means stringing for so long. I mean, you were there five weeks. Uh, it's a pretty long time. So do you ever really get like fatigued yourself? Like you get tired, like today, I don't want to string <laughs> any racket. <laughs> um, it's not too bad. I mean, luckily we uh, had some time where we could just sort of relax and where we were staying, you know, we could just sort of, sit outside chat have a beer and relax you know maybe have a little bit of food something like that and i think that's the important thing being able to step away and just relax and and, and that and that's it um it's almost like what's quite tiring are the days when you don't actually have a lot of work to do mm. and you're sitting around doing nothing so a day like the finals day is quite tough because there's not a lot of work to be done and you're basically sitting around waiting for the matches to start and then obviously the matches to finish. Yeah. That, they're almost harder. You know, if you go in one day and you've got, I don't know, 15 rackets to do, and you can just start and you can work through them and then you have your working day and, and that happens. That's, that's a lot easier than it is just sitting around waiting for, for rackets to turn up because you do sort of get to that process where, someone will come in and say, oh, I need some rackets done. It's like, oh, I've got to do some rackets. I've been sitting around for a couple of hours, not doing anything. It's, you know, trying to get out of your chair and do it. So that's probably where the fatigue just sets in, to be honest. It's just mm. the mental side of it. If you keep going, it's not an issue. Um, but, you know, when you stop, that's when it can become tricky. 
did you have any super picky pros that come back or um, we're not happy we have to redo this what was there any stories like that um i would like to say no i don't think there there was um no i i can't honestly say i like I said i didn't see everything mm. um so i can't comment and the way the front desk was set up to where we are we were directly we were away from them so we couldn't actually see or hear if any players came in and said anything as far as i'm aware everything seemed to 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 go smoothly um we may have, i think we had quite a few players come in and wanted to check dt's dynamic tensions on their on their rackets either um, before they would been stringing or after they'd been strung or anything like that sort of line. So, I mean, you know, we had players who were interested in that aspect of things, making sure we're getting the right numbers or the numbers they expect, things like that. Um, but I don't recall anything where there was anything what I would define as being as a major issue. Um, I don't, didn't see anything, to be honest. Cool. I mean, they, cool. We're always getting picky. We're always getting picky players on certain things, want their racket done a certain way or you know logos got to be in the right place uh, that becomes more and more picky now um you know things like that but that's probably about it to be honest the logo needs to be in the right place that's a thing that they are picky about but that's for the yeah, manufacturer some, i guess some players want their logo in a specific place oh okay yeah i mean to be honest it's usually wilson so mm. we'll have some players say they want it higher than what we'd normally put it at so i would like to try and put it fairly central to the string bed but they yeah. may actually say no i want it higher up the string bed in a certain position um we've also had a thing from from technofiber um i don't know if you've got a technofiber stencil but it actually sort of says on there where it's meant to go but at previous tournaments it was like yeah that's not really in a good position so we were doing it elsewhere and then they've technofiber have come back and said no, we now, this is now how we do it. Ignore that. This is how we're telling you to put it on there now. And that's how we're telling all the players to do it. So it's like, okay, fine. So that, that changes things as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, that players can be picky. You know, I've had a player turn around. So they want their head stencil flipped the other way because we always try and follow the, the paint or the butt cap. But they yeah. actually want it the other way around. Um, something to do with they reckon they can feel the extra weight of the ink on one side than the other, and they always, yeah. Again, it's one of those psychological things, maybe. Mm. Um, again, I've had it with a left-hander. She had a Wilson racket. She wanted the Wilson sign the opposite way around again to the butt cut because when she was hitting the the forehand, then the logo will look correct on pictures rather than back to front. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what they like. That's what we do. P people are quite picky, generally. I think. I mean, it's it's tennis players. Is, I mean, it's such a mental sport. So even you see that. With, I I think with some recreational players can be no matter what their level is. You know, if they can hardly hit the ball or if they're actually playing pretty well, uh, they will have some strange things about whether it's knots and uh, the the you know the logo or whatever. Whatever. Uh, do you see that also in your your shop kind of? Uh... Not particularly, no. I mean, I might have some players say they don't want the, the stencil. I do is, is a matter of course, but some players will say, no, they don't want a logo on there, which is absolutely fine. That's no problem with that. But everything else, they just accept how it's done. Uh, again, I had this question even this morning, and, and it's like, 
uh, I always put the racket this way up on the machine and they go, why do you do that? They're like, well, um, we always do that because it's like consistent and that's the way that pretty much all tournament stringers do it. Um, it just gives a consistency so we always know which way is up, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of thing. Um, and again, I don't know whether you notice, but it's always quite handy when we do the uh, the spin at the beginning of a match and for the service because I'm stringing the racket so I know I know which way is rough and which way is smooth. So that always helps. Yeah. No, I, people, that, that's are, ca- people are catching on to that now though. <laughs> exactly. It's a good, it's good to have some small tips and tricks for yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you have, do you have a lot of stringing work during the week as well? Like that's uh, your main occupation or. Yeah. I mean, since I, since I've been back, I've just been really busy. Um, I think I got back last like said on the, the 1st of February and I've just been really busy since then consistently stringing or uh, racket sales or get, just getting back in the shop. I mean, I've had some people there just cover my shop because uh, I share the area with the coaches at the club. Um, so they've been running everything since I've been there. But since I've been back, you know, it's just just gone up and up. So plenty of racket sales, plenty of restrings, balls, shoes. It's, it's all been going well. So, yeah, I've just been really busy. Um, I was looking to do something next week with uh, a tournament but I just haven't got the time to do that now yeah it's It's good it's good to be busy yeah no absolutely it's good to come back and everyone's sort of been I wouldn't say they've desperately been waiting but they've come back and you know they want to sort some things out and and what have you and while I do trust the guys they you know my customers do do seem to prefer to deal with me yeah um just because I'm I'm the own boss, so so it's easy to it's easy to work with, and they know what they're going to get, um, which is good. It's nice nice to hear that. Do you um, do you see anything from the sales point of view that certain rackets are selling like hotcakes, or certain models are hot, or brands are hotter than others in your experience? Um, so uh, at the moment, the boom um, is just sold through. I've got we've got like two demos here and they're based both consistently out all the time so i've had a delivery of those they've just pretty much all gone um so i need to get some more of those in so that's that's really good um other than that i mean i've sold a few babalats again this uh over the recent week so that's that's good uh yonex is not doing too bad for me either Mm-hmm. So quite happy with that. And Yonex are happy with that, obviously, as well. So that's going forward. Um, but yeah, the hot one at the moment is definitely, it's definitely the boom. Yeah, it seems like the, the campaigning and the, the work that some of these brands, I mean, they, they all put in quite a lot for certain launches and the boom was a long, long-awaited launch. And it seems to generate a lot of interest. So, um, and it, the, the records are good. So there's also a reason. I mean, I think many of the, recent releases overall have had a higher quality than maybe five years back. That's my personal opinion, but I generally see like there's a little bit more thought into the, what they're launching from all brands, pretty much, you know, that they're putting a little bit more effort into, okay, this actually works. Customers like this. Let's just tweak the things they don't like more like listening to feedback than just going ahead and like, Oh, we made it stiffer now and it's uh, has countervail or it has this dampening or whatever. Uh, and it doesn't seem to work as well. So I think this this generally feels like they're a little bit more, um, get a bit more feedback and listen to the feedback better. But that's just my feeling. Uh, no, I think you're possibly right on that. Uh, like I said, the, the, the boom is sort of clash-like, and obviously the clash was done 
very, very well. You know, having hit with the, the latest iteration, the Pure Drive, I think it's possibly the one of the most comfortable Pure Drives I've made in a long time. Yep. Um, it's not overly stiff. It's definitely a little bit more comfortable than it has been in the past. Um, hopefully when they do the new Pure Aero, that will follow a similar line. And I think if they do, they could be on to a much better winner of that. May just make that a little bit more comfortable, you know, a little bit less harsh. Um, and I think that will work quite well. But yeah, you're right. There's a lot more my sort of, there's clearly marketing going on, but it's long-term marketing now, as opposed to just, hey, we've got a new racket coming out. Yeah. You know, anyone yeah. coming by, you know, seeding up. I mean, you obviously clearly you get you know a few pre-release prototypes and things like that come through to you and i think that's the way that that um companies are starting don't starting to do that had have certainly done it and obviously they did it with the radical uh they did it with the boom um you know so it's going to be interesting the way that the other companies uh if they follow a similar trend in in getting that out there yeah it seems like overall that what you pointed out there is that they're trying to make the rackets they have that may maybe were historically a little bit stiff, a little bit softer, a bit more muted, a bit more dampened. I mean, Babala did it with the Pure Drive. Yonex, the new E-Zones are very comfortable. Both the 100 and the, the 98, I found no issues with stiffness, personally at least, and the other guys that tried it. So I think they're trying, they're seeing this big like tennis elbow issue, obviously. If people have tennis elbow, they can't buy rackets. They can't stri- like play tennis. So having softer rackets... Then you can have some power. You might not get all the power in the world, but you're going to get some free for, from a bigger head size like the Boom MP or or even you know the Pure Drive uh, that's not as stiff as it was maybe a few years back. So I think it's it's the general trend is that they're trying to make it a little bit more arm-friendly overall. Yeah, no, I would agree with you on that. Do you see like from, from strings uh, with, with club-level players, do, do you see a lot of multi-filaments or does everyone want... Uh, to string polyester like i mean i obviously you give them advice and you have a lot of knowledge in this so and uh, that's probably why a lot of people would like to go to you because they also know that you know uh, what could work for them and I, it's something i i see uh, is an issue with other clubs sometimes if if you have I mean, you, i'm traveling around a bit you go to a club and you're seeing that people come in and they don't know what string they want and then the the the, the pro shop strings like a, a pure arrow 25 kilo rpm blast because that's what they do for many customers yeah. and you're starting to be like uh, that's not maybe what this guy should play with <laughs> you know i think one advantage i've got is that i'm actually there and i'm on court and i'm seeing people play and i can see how they play and have an idea on what sort of standard they are yeah. rather than just a customer walking into uh, again i don't uh, you know a high street shop sports shop hey i need my racket strung fine What's the best string you got? Oh, it's it's this, that, or the other. Um, string at attention, and that's it. I'm actually seeing the players. I'm seeing yeah. the people, so I've got a better idea of what's suited to them or what what they're interested in. Um, and excuse me, and give them advice based on that. If I've got someone new, obviously it's ask the questions. Let's have a look at your racket. What string have you got in there? What would you like? What do you want out of a string? What did you not like about it? That sort of thing. You know, I'm certainly aware of there are people who are fairly adamant that polyester is the way to go, even if you're using a very thin gauge and a, and a lower tension, which I can understand. But for me, the big issue with polyester is always the, the, the life of the string. And those people who, even if 
they are stringing lower with thinner polyesters, they're still probably not going to get the racket strung as often as they should with a polyester. And that I see is a, is a downside. It's not, it's not good. So letting them having something like a synthetic gut, I think is, is better because they're more likely to end up breaking it anyway. And the multifilament obviously will definitely go sort of mushy towards the end. And it does sort of impose that they will actually have the racket strung more often. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be giving someone who's got pure aero and just ripping top spins. I'm not going to be giving them synthetic gut because there's just, you know, there's no point in that. Um, but yeah, I've got the knowledge, but I'm seeing the customers as well. And mm. I think that's, that's an important part. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Also, also when you try to give advice to know, because people have a hard time sometimes self-assessing, you know, and saying, Hey, I'm a 3.0 NTRP or six UTR or a complete beginner players want to sometimes think that they're better than they are or sometimes they kind of put themselves down maybe like oh you know i'm not so good and i, I probably need a lot of help while they might not be you know so that's good to have someone who's a bit from the outside can actually watch and say hey i mean maybe you should reduce tension or maybe you need to increase because you're you're lacking control change the racket whatever and uh, and i think a lot of i, I agree completely that many people you see they're not going to hit with a lot of topspin uh, and then they can use a multifilament or a synthetic gut and you get that natural breaking point or even, you know, a natural gut if they want. And uh, you get that natural breaking point and you, a dead polyester string is not good for your, you know, arm. It's not going to be good for your tennis overall. And, and you see a lot of players play with a poly for like six months, even if they play twice a week, you know, so it's, it's not the best, best thing to do. And now you have like stiffer multifilaments. You have, you know, this kind of links touch hybrid polys, there's all kinds of strings in between. So you can experiment a bit with that, but it depends on how often you want to string as well. I agree. I think uh, my customers are certainly the club players are stringing more often, um, maybe because they've got access to, to someone who's going to be stringing around for quite a bit. But uh, again, unfortunately, I'm, I'm of an age where I've seen tennis change from, you know, from the fast grass flatter shots, bigger serves into a maybe a little bit more slower, more spin orientated game. The techniques have changed. So when I've got people at sort of my age or maybe a little bit younger going through that sort of flatter period of time when they learn, then they need something different than someone who's a lot younger and playing with an aero pro and, you know, spinning up an awful lot more, that sort of game. Um, you know, when you've got juniors coming through as well, how sort of energised they are as, as well, how much energy they can put into their game, that's going to affect the choice of string as well. It's definitely like a generational, like a, a line where you can draw, where you see the difference in the technique that a, a guy who's 15 and a guy who's my age, like 40, uh, or a bit older, you're seeing a difference in, in like how they were trained. I was like trained on like fast, carpets you know that the ball hardly bounces so you had to come yeah. to the net you you got a lot of benefits from hit, taking the ball early and hitting it flat because you hit a lot of winners that way while today it, it's all about like being able to extend the rally making no mistakes and trying to hit as big as you can with margins you know so it's a very different sport we're in uh, which which has been a, i mean for me personally it's been a, a, a kind of a challenge to go and try to learn play more modern style tennis because it's you're so ingrained like with strings or like with rackets that this is the what it feels home and then you need to really adjust uh, to play 
kind of more modern tennis because otherwise you're gonna you know unforced errors count is gonna go up a bit too high right so well, I'm 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 at that age. I'm starting to think now maybe I shouldn't be playing with anyone younger than thirty. No, no, I mean I, I know what you mean. <laughs> it's, it's, older so different, yeah. it's so different. Like they they hit such a different ball, and even if they have a small you know body, they're they're not like big, muscly, or tall, or whatever. They can still hit like a very spinny, quite heavy ball. So uh, you can play with like fourteen-year-old kids that play every day, and they hit like quite a quite a big shot and very annoying. They never miss, you know. So it can yeah. pull your confidence. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. You have tennis soon, so I'm gonna let you go. And uh, but I, you know, I always enjoy talking to you, and we can do more of these at any point. Thanks very much, Jan. It's always good to talk to you. Good luck on your tennis. We'll keep in Thank touch. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. See you later.